Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. We've got a very special guest here today, a returning guest from Marquee Sports Network, Tony Andraki. Tony, thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Obviously, we got a lot to get into, but I'm pretty sure this is your first time back on the show now as a dad, so I just want to say congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. How's, uh, how's the little guy? Uh, good, yeah. Um, she's like crawling around and stuff now, uh, almost seven months. So it seems crazy. It, it's crazy to, to think that, uh, you know, it all happened in uh, about three weeks into the Cubs season. And then here we are a couple weeks into November. Uh, it's been a whirlwind year for sure. But uh, no, it's been fantastic. Absolutely. And, and as we look into this Cubs offseason, obviously it's already been a whirlwind for them. The end of the season, obviously not ending the way the Cubs expected or Cubs hoped, I should say, um, that September collapse kind of left them out of the World Series or out of the playoffs and through the World Series. Um, so I want to ask you before we get into specifically the Cubs stuff, uh, what were your thoughts on the um, the World Series, the Rangers taking it home, the Diamondbacks upsetting the Phillies, all of the uh, the playoff talk? Oh, yeah, I thought it was super interesting and uh, just a fascinating playoffs again. It's a good reminder of just getting into the tournament and how important it is. And there's so many different paths to get in. So if you're the Rangers, they, they, they almost sort of backed in or linked into the playoffs. That's the way I felt because they led the AL West for much of the year. And it wasn't until I think the last day of the season, right? Where the Astros overtook them. Yep. And, and so the, the Rangers weren't firing on all cylinders going into the postseason, And then, they got in the playoffs and they were just dominant. I mean, I don't think they lost the game on the road all all uh, postseason. They were incredible, even without Max Scherzer and obviously Jacob Degrom either. So that was amazing to, to just to see some of the uh, guys like Adolis Garcia or Evan Carter or some of the guys that were lesser known names um, to have their star turn on the national stage. And then on the other side of the coin, there's the Diamondbacks, who were one of the hottest teams in baseball going into the playoffs, and they rode that momentum all the way to the World Series, where they kind of ran into this juggernaut that was the Rangers in October. So um, it, it really interesting, for sure. And, and, I mean, it's also, from a Cubs perspective, super interesting because the Cubs were one game behind the Diamondbacks. If Dansby Swanson, you know, is able to catch that ball, and it, not putting it on him, but it was a ball that was close to him in that extra inning game in Arizona – during that series, like all of a sudden it's Cubs in the playoffs and not the Diamondbacks. So, um, or, you know, if the Cubs were able to win that game in some other way or any of those games against Arizona where they went one and six against them in the final few weeks of the season. So any of those games go a different way. Arizona doesn't have that, that momentum going into the playoff. They're not even in the playoffs. And then they don't obviously go all the way to the world series, but maybe the Cubs would. And, And so it's just about getting in. It doesn't really matter how you get in always, but, but getting into the playoffs is important, giving yourself a piece of the pie. And it's something that Theo always said when he was here and, and Hoyer has reiterated. And what the Cubs need to do is they just need to get back into the playoffs in some way, shape, or form and continue to do that year over year. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and that's definitely something that's been echoed um, over the years, whether it be from Theo or Jed. I, I think it was cool, too, because, you know, as the Cubs, you can kind of look at it from either way as – you know, a team like the Rangers who went 
deep into the free agent and made a ton of splashes and paid a ton of money, they can get there. And then also the Diamondbacks, who maybe weren't paying as much, had some young, exciting rookies. You could also get to the playoffs that way. So I think it encourages a lot of people, especially the, the smaller market teams, to keep trying to win because, like you said, all you have to do is get in. Yeah, definitely, right. And and I think, um, I think the best best course of action for teams is a blend of both it's obviously getting your homegrown guys and your young core and whatever but you can't always bank on a corbin carroll coming up and setting the world on fire in his rookie season i mean he had one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen from any player and then at the same time i mean you can't just throw money at the problem because the rangers did that uh but obviously like i said i mean they had like about almost 70 million dollars of salary on the IL with Scherzer and DeGrom for most of the postseason yep. and even much of the, the time leading into the postseason. So, you, you know, it can't just be about money. It has to be a blend of both. And that's why the Rangers were able to win because of the, you know, Adolis Garcia was a guy who was waived or non-tendered by multiple organizations, including the Cardinals, before he got to the Rangers and, and stuck there. And then Evan Carter is a 21-year-old rookie who came up and just played three weeks in the big leagues uh, playing center field, you know, quick guy, good prospect, good pedigree, uh, left-handed hitter, and all of a sudden, you know, is is hitting three for the Rangers all the way throughout. Like, Carter was really what the college hoped Peeker Armstrong would be and what kind of, you know, star turn he would have towards the end of the season. It didn't play out that way for PCA, but obviously it did for Evan Carter. For sure, and I think that gives Jed Hoyer a lot of um... – kind of a, a blueprint of what you're trying to construct and then you look at the 2016 team and they they had all that they had the young core they had some expensive pieces like Lester or Hayward and it all just combined and especially at the right time throughout that playoff series and now the Cubs kind of find themselves in a, a similar position uh, maybe like after the 2014 or 2015 season where you do have a young core and they're locked up for the next couple of years You've got some young prospects coming up through the minors who you're excited about, but also a lot of financial flexibility to add, you know, big impact players now. And I think this offseason should be um, answering a lot of questions that fans have about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the financial flexibility is a good point for sure. They, they do have a lot of financial flexibility to have. Uh, I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's somewhere around like 150 to 160 uh, committed uh, to the 2024 payroll. Now, you know, there's also some of that is like, there's like $5 million of a buyout for Cody Bellinger. And then there's money, you know, on uh, Trey Mancini's contract that's like $7 million and over $3 million for Barnhart and five for Bodie, stuff like that, that that's still around. But I mean, I do think that they have I, somewhere around like 70 plus million dollars under the luxury tax that they can go out and spend just for 2024 and then more as you get into 2025 and 26 and 27 and so on because really the only guy signed after 2026 is Danzy Swanson but it is also nice that you have some some cost certainty and and stability with knowing what Nico Horner is going to make and what uh you know guys like like Ian Happ knowing he's going to be around and you don't have to worry about him hitting free agency and filling another hole there so Locking some of those guys up to extensions was huge. Bringing back a guy like Kyle Hendricks at the, and, you know, Jan Gomes, I think, was big as well. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I do think that they absolutely will be 
shopping uh, maybe even at the very top of the market this winter on on trade fronts and in free agency because they need more talent. Like getting Craig Council was fantastic, but they there's no way that anybody can make the case looking at this roster right now and say that it was better than that it is better than the roster they spent 2023 with. So they need to get better um, and they need to add better players and add more impact talent. So I expect them to do that this winter. I do too. And before we fully dive into that and, and maybe uh, talk about some of the managerial decisions, as well as uh, some players that are going to be on the market. Um, this now has concluded the first season with um, the new rules, the um, pitch clock, the bigger bases and the, the banning of the defensive shift. And um, you obviously had a little bit of a closer eye on it as well. Um, and we all watched the playoffs and, and kind of saw the games pick back up a little bit. Uh, they weren't quite as fast as in the regular season, but I think that of course was expected. But what were your thoughts on, on the rules? Do you think they've worked? And also do you notice them as much deeper and deeper into the season? Cause I, I didn't. Yeah, it's a good question. I did not notice them. Uh, the bases, I, I didn't even notice from day one. I, I remember thinking, seeing images of the bases and the bigger bases, and you're like, wow, these look like pizza boxes. And then I remember getting to spring training in Arizona, and I'm like, oh, wow, I don't notice the, the size of the bases at all. And um, the disengagements, I thought, was pretty minor. And the pitch clock was major, but it's not something you're conscious of all the time. It was really just something you're conscious of when all of a sudden you look up and it's two hours and 25 minutes into the game and the game's over. So like, I did love that for sure. I, I enjoyed the, the pace of the game. Uh, I just did. I think that the only thing we're missing is downtime and that's good. That's a good thing that there's less downtime. Uh, there was less downtime this past year than there was before. So I loved them. Um, and, and I think with the shifting and stuff too, First of all, I love stolen bases, so I'm glad that there's more Me too. stolen bases in the game. I think that that's great. I think that the the moves to to create a bit more offense, more hits into the game also made a lot of sense. I don't know for sure how much that really made an impact, at least at like the top level. Maybe it, it raised the floor a bit, so there's not quite as many guys hitting you know 200 or 210 or 227. But I believe there's only nine guys that hit over 300 in 2023 qualified hitters, Cody Bellinger among them. And it was like the fewest in, I don't know, since the 80s or since the 90s that we had seen that. So I thought that was super interesting that like the ceiling wasn't quite even quite as high as as we had thought. Uh, and I was expecting with those rule changes, with the lack of shifts and the bigger bases or some of these other things that like the, the offense would go up and that um, base runners would create more havoc on bases and open bigger holes or again, the lack of shift would just create more singles. So I thought batting average would go up. I thought, I thought we'd have more players hitting over 300. So I was pretty surprised at that uh, aspect of it. And I got to be honest, just watching the games and covering all year, I didn't really feel like offense was up. I didn't feel like there were more base hits or like the shift or lack of a shift changed things all that much. Um, I just thought that the pace of the game was good and stolen bases are increased. Um, but also like not to any sort of outrageous example, like we weren't seeing full on video game numbers from guys, except for like Ronald Acuna. But other than that, like we were seeing very realistic numbers across the board. I felt like, yeah, me too. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head. The rules kind of, um, almost intentionally, I guess stolen bases. You definitely saw, uh, the top end, the guys who you expected to steal definitely stole more. 
Um, but with the like just balls in play, it, it raised the floor more than it raised the ceiling. And I think that's a good thing too. Um, but I, I think, I don't remember who I talked to about it, but last year, um, I know Cody Bellinger before they implemented the rules, he said, you know, in grade school, you hit a ball up the middle, it's a base hit. In high school, ball up the middle is a base hit. College, minors, line drive up the middle is a base hit, but you get to the pros and that's an out and you have to make that adjustment. Um, and we thought a lot of lefties would benefit. And one of the guys that I thought would benefit more than anybody was Kyle Schwarber. And uh, he turned in his worst batting average ever. Yeah, um, I agree, right, because, like, the lefties are were shifted so much, and then all of a sudden they're not shifted quite as much. So I don't know what to make of that, honestly. I don't know why why guys would suddenly, um, you know, t- not see major increases in batting average. Right. But, but that being said, I mean, Schwarber still had a very Schwarber-like season, right? Yep. He, he drew a bunch of walks and hit a bunch of homers. So uh, I, I wouldn't – if you looked at his baseball card and – you didn't tell anybody like this was the year with, with the rule changes and this these were the years without. I don't think you'd be able to to pick and figure out. It's very in line with the rest of his years, his his career, and so I think that's what I liked about some of the rule changes. So I'm, I'm curious though to see over a longer period of time and a larger sample how how that plays out, how that impacts players' numbers. Yeah, one year is, is certainly a small sample, and I definitely noticed the pace of game to improve. Um, it was not an issue watching at home at all the one thing I noticed that is like if you went to the game and you had to use the bathroom or go get a hot dog or whatever you missed way more time than in other years (laughs) yeah yeah for sure and I think even one of the things that I noticed too from when I wasn't traveling and I was watching the games on marquee from home it it was a little bit tougher for for Boog and company to try to have some conversations and um you know for Taylor to do some of her hits from this side because of how quick it was between pitches and between uh, just get action and, and stuff going. Yeah, on good point. On the field. So I thought that was a was an interesting component, and obviously, like you know, affected us uh, just in terms of putting on the broadcast for it. But but like as a casual, if I were just a casual fan watching, I wouldn't have really noticed that kind of stuff. True, that's a good point. Um, now I think we can kind of dive into the off season and some of the moves the Cubs have made or are going to make, and we'll start at the top. You already mentioned it slightly. Craig Council is the new manager of the Chicago Cubs. He spent the last, I think, eight or nine years with Milwaukee. Super successful there. Um, I think Cubs fans would agree that they constantly felt like they had the better team, but at the end of the year, it was Council's Brewers with the better record. And that doesn't all go to Council, but it certainly is a credit to the way he manages things. Um, the shocking part of it all, uh, it happened, I think, last Monday, Um, David Ross fired, and I think a lot of people, when they heard that Craig Council was deciding between the Brewers, the Mets, and a mystery third team without a managerial opening, immediately thought the Yankees, and then to see that it meant David Ross fired and Craig Council brought on board certainly was a shock. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, it was uh, probably the biggest shock uh, in my time covering the Cubs in terms of, like, news uh, happening like that. Like, I was... I can't think of something to really compare it to where I was like, wow, I, I'm, I'm so stunned, you know, because even there was writing on the wall of the trading all the players away in 2021 or even of being non-tendered and uh, going into 2021 or um, any of that kind of stuff. So, like, I was I was pretty blown away. I was uh, I was definitely surprised that it happened. I, I even had uh, a buddy text me. Actually, several people reached out just in between the time of 
when Rosenthal, Ken Rosenthal's first tweet came out that the mystery team was involved and multiple people were like, is this the Cubs? Any chances the Cubs? And I'm like, no, well, there's no way they would do that to Ross. <laughs> I just don't think that that's how we're going to play out. Ross uh, under contract. He had just recently signed an extension and they talked him up and it seems like a weird time for them to like get rid of him and bring in counsel. And then sure enough, 20 minutes later, half an hour later, we see that it was counsel, in fact, coming to the Cubs. So um, I was super shocked. I, I I just really, really did not see that coming. I did not think the Cubs were making a move like that, a managerial change in the first week of November here. Uh, so I, I do feel bad for Ross and how it played out. I do give Jed a ton of credit for, for going after his guy and doing what he believes will help his team and the organization and serve the fan base the best he possibly can can do uh and I, I don't think that there's much of an argument to be made that council's a better manager right now than ross I, I don't know anybody that's even making that argument in the opposite that ross is a better manager um i do think ross is a very good manager a very capable manager really got uh players to, to buy into what he was doing and, and um you know trying to commit to and all of that kind of stuff so i, I think he was a super respected guy, both as a player, then as a front office member and media member, and then as a manager. So um, it's at the same time, I mean, Council is phenomenal and the best manager in the game, probably. Uh, the Cubs certainly think so. I, I am not one to sit here and say otherwise because I think he's fantastic and he consistently got more out of less in Milwaukee and the way he handles the pitching staff and how smart he is, how self-aware he is, drawing on his experiences of working in the front office in Milwaukee, but also as a player who won a couple World Series, I think is is super interesting too. So um, I was impressed with him in his opening press conference. I'm super impressed with the move that Jed has, you know, even if I do feel bad for how things went with, with Ross. And I think it means nothing but good things moving forward for the Cubs. I think it's it's a great time to be a Cubs fan, and this is just, just kind of a, a proof or a reason why. For sure, and and there's kind of like the three layers to it. There's Ross, there's Council, and there's what it means. So we can start with Ross. Um, of course, like you said, you feel bad for him. I think it was um, Spiegel from 670, the score that wrote the article that called it justifiable cruelty, and I think that's the perfect word for it because Ross was pretty successful as a manager. And I, I, I mean, I go back to 2020, and I even think it's telling of his leadership that the Cubs finished that year as the only team in baseball without a positive COVID test. Like, I think that says a lot about David Ross. And I think he took a lot of flack for um, guys like Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer and, you know, Miles Mastroboni at the beginning of the year really underperforming or Luis Torrens, whoever. Um, But it's not Ross's decision per se, whether or not Pico Armstrong or Matt Mervis or Christopher Morell at the beginning of the year comes up. It's a a bigger conversation and it's not only on his shoulders and he was just trying to make the best of the roster that was in front of him. And it kind of stinks for Ross that right when it looks like the tide's going to turn, he's out. Um, It's definitely something that you feel bad for, but at every level people have raved about his leadership and I'm sure he'll be back in a dugout sometime soon. Um, But for now it, it, it definitely has to sting. And for Cubs fans who watched him, help them win a World Series and, and manage the team for the last four years. As excited as you might be about Council, you can still feel bad for Ross. Yeah, I agree with with all of that, really. Um, you know, it, uh, I forget what was the term you used, like justifiable cruelty. Like, that's, I guess that's a pretty good way to put it, to be honest. Uh, 
really difficult. I, I There's a part of me that would love to be a fly on the wall uh, for that conversation when Jed flew down to Florida and, and told Rossi in person. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it's, it stinks uh, in so many ways, but really to get rid of a guy who meant so much to this organization, to this fan base, to, to Jed personally, to guys in the clubhouse, to do that, you, you had to do that. There's only one guy that Jed would have done this for, and that's Craig Council. There's only one guy that he feels like is a noticeable or significant upgrade enough at manager and to get the most out of the roster, and that's Craig Council. So I think that there's some level of um, of belief that like I even put into that, right? It's like because I've of Council's reputation around baseball and because I think there's also the aspect of it weakens the in-division team. If Council wasn't going to the Mets, he was very likely probably staying with the Brewers, and the Cubs swooped in and, and kind of kept that from happening. And now I think the Brewers are in a tough time of transition where they may be selling off parts, and they certainly don't have their uh, front office chief from several years ago. David Stearns is now running the Mets, and Craig Council, their, their like all-star manager, is now running the Cubs. So, like, you know, I, I don't – it's just – it's a time where uh, the Cubs kind of weaken their chief rival in the division and strengthen themselves at the same time. And so to be able to do that, Ross was just an unfortunate casualty of that. But I, I had a lot of respect for covering Ross, how he handled things. Um, you know, I don't think he was perfect as a manager. I don't think a perfect manager exists. I don't think council's perfect. But, but I do think that he deserves a lot of credit for how he got guys to fight for him and to motivate it anytime Anytime you bring a team from 10 games under 500 in June like that and bring them all the way back into the playoff chase, and regardless of whether they fell one game short or not, like it, up until mid-September, the last couple weeks of the season, Ross was firmly in the conversation as a manager of the year candidate. I mean, Skip Schumacher just won for essentially doing what Ross did, but just getting his Finishing team into the, the job, playoffs. Yeah. Right. If Miami falters on the stretch and the Cubs make the playoffs, does Ross win manager of the year? Like, very possibly. So... I, that's what I think the, the interesting dichotomy of it all, uh, just because he had done such a good job for so long. And, and it, there's an element of luck that contributed to the Cubs not, uh, you know, being 10 under in 500 in the first place uh, or not doing as well down the, the stretch of the season. But there's also an element of like the health aspect, um, things not going their way, players not performing up to it. And honestly, I'm sure some of the moves that Ross could have made that could have been better as well. Certainly things that Jed could have done on the roster, especially in the bullpen, would have helped out the stretch too. So if the Cubs make the playoffs, I, I doubt they make the same move with Ross and, and Ag Council. But, you know, at the end of the day, like Ross had four years of, of time here. He wasn't always handed the, the easiest uh, the easiest hand from Jed, you know, trading a bunch of players, multiple rebuilds. But I think now, you know, the Cubs are definitely on the way up, and I think the council addition only further proves that. Yeah, in the future we might look back at it as kind of a blessing that they didn't make the playoffs this year if if the council move fully does work out. But you mentioned Hoyer and, and wanting to give him some credit. The thing that I keep um, thinking on, and a lot of it has to do with the timing of when Theo left, and obviously – Love Theo and Cubs fans for forever grateful for everything he did for this organization, but he left Jed in a really tough spot. And I think one of, if not the only knock that you can have on Theo is that he was particularly uh, loyal to the core that won the World Series and maybe hung on to them a little bit too long. And when you look at Hoyer tasked with the 
seemingly impossible challenge of getting rid of those um, hallmark guys of the Cubs franchise, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Contreras now, Schwarber, of course, and even Ross now as a manager. Um, but Hoyer's been able to do it, and it seemed like all those moves, for the most part, have panned out in the right way. And obviously there's a lot of emotion tied to it that Hoyer has astutely been able to kind of remove from those decisions. And I think all the credit in the world has to go to him. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the way that he's been able to uh, remove emotion from making the decision, I think is impressive because he's a human being. And a lot of these moves made by front office members are made with human elements of trying to save their jobs or, uh, you know, trying to retain a player like Joey Votto in Cincinnati, who means so much to the organization and the city and the fan base. Um, and, you know, paying him until he's past his prime and all that kind of stuff, which they obviously did. Like, the, And I'm not criticizing the Reds or saying it was a bad call, but I'm saying that Jed took the emotion out of it and really was very businesslike and, and in some ways, you know, cold, cold-blooded. And obviously this Ross and Council thing is a, is a uh, perfect example of that. But, yeah, like to say that these things have, have worked out or haven't worked out, I mean, I, like Darvish has pitched pretty well since – since Jed traded him away, but he hasn't been like a frontline starter. He's 37, I believe now. Um, Owen Casey is about the only guy they got in return that looks like he might be anything or have any value, but he looks like he could be a potential stud for this team very quickly, possibly even as, you know, in late 2024. And then, yeah, some of these other moves, like, I mean, Craig Kimball for Nick Madrigal is, is a pretty nice trade uh, to be honest, even right there because Kimball struggled on the South side of Chicago and then all these other things like PCA for Javi and Kevin Alcantara for Rizzo and, uh, you know, Caleb Killian and Canario for Bryant. Like, those look like pretty solid moves. And then also the fact that, like, of trading them away and not signing them, I wouldn't take any of those deals. I, if, I, if I had to, obviously we have the benefit of hindsight 2020, but I wouldn't hand out $184 million to Bryant or 157 whatever it is that Javi's getting. They, they have struggled to either stay healthy in Brian's case or perform anywhere near their career levels in Javi's case. Rizzo dealt with concussion symptoms, but his his production has been down. And Schwerber is awesome, and I love, like, the story, and I loved him as a person here and all of that. But, like, he still is, like, a two-war player at best. So, um, you know, it was that was a tough one, Schwerber, to, like, get rid of to non-tender. But it's hard to argue, really, with any of these moves paying off from the Cubs' perspective. I mean, look at Wilson Contreras, even. Like, the Cubs had a better season without Contreras, uh, at, and he goes to St. Louis, and they struggle immediately with pitching. And it wasn't even June before he was immediately, like, he was already being, quote-unquote, benched from catching, and they were talking about playing him in the outfield or at first base or DHing or whatever, like, because he wasn't getting the most out of the pitching staff. So a lot of the moves Jed has made, Jed has made so far have paid off, but it hasn't resulted in even a playoff appearance since 2020 now. So, right. so we got to kind of see the, the, the end of um, the carrot at the end of the stick now. And like the Cubs fans need to see that for sure. It's like, let's see this all work for sure. And uh council specifically is, is a huge part of that. Like, I do think there's more pressure. There's more pressure on Jed. There's pressure on council. There's pressure on the Cubs to, to go out and do things uh, and actually make it to the playoffs and, and make it to a world series and win one. But that's a good thing. You, you want those expectations and heightened pressure. Absolutely. And I think over these few years, especially the last couple, Jed Hoyer, if he's done nothing else, has earned the benefit of the doubt. And I think for that reason alone, you have to trust um, this move to bring in Craig Council. And you were there at the uh, 
press conference Monday. I watched it on TV and heard your question even. So what were your um, thoughts on the Craig Council um, hire, I guess, and the press conference and, and some of your takeaways from that? Yeah, I thought it was pretty impressive. I It struck me how uh, like emotionally intelligent Council is, how he was kind of refreshingly honest and vulnerable. Like he talked about being scared in the moment, not in any sort of bad way, but like this is a this is kind of a scary transition to go from a smaller market to a bigger market and a place he was very comfortable in Milwaukee where he very close to where he grew up and went to high school and the organization that he had spent 17 years with as a player, front office member and a coach to make that move to come 90 miles south to Wrigley Field. Again, heightened expectations and pressure. Um, that's, that's a lot. And and I appreciate and acknowledge uh, the fact that, that he acknowledged that and was open about that. So I really liked that. I thought he was impressive. Um, the other thing that stands out too is just the fact that like he is constantly looking for ways to, to improve and to get better and to challenge himself. And he believes that this is like the next frontier for him to, to challenge himself. So I think that's really cool too. So, so I was really just impressed with that overall and not, you know, the old adage and, and joke of like, can you win a press conference? Like I, if you can, I feel like Council won that press conference. Yeah, I was, I was impressed for sure as well. And you mentioned a few questions ago that, 2024 has to be better. You have to get better than you were in 2023. And um, on paper, they're already better at manager, uh, but they need to get better on the field. And I'm just going to list a few of the the names that have swirled around in rumors that the Cubs uh, potentially could be interested, whether that be on the trade front or in free agency. You've got, of course, Cody Bellinger and Jamer Candelario, who left the Cubs, um, and then Reese Hoskins, Justin Turner, uh, Kyle Gibson, Shohei Otani, um, Yamamoto from Japan, who was stellar in the World Baseball Classic, and then some trade candidates, Tyler Glasnow, Juan Soto, Pete Alonso, who many in the industry think will get traded. Now, if you're the Cubs looking at this roster, I think for sure you have to figure out first base and third base, and obviously Bellinger could be a huge part of that if the Cubs do re-sign him. Um, and then center field, I think technically still is a question mark because of how raw Pete Kerr Armstrong looked when he came up. I think long-term, you still have confidence in him um, taking over that position at some point, but maybe not quite yet. Um, and then, obviously, you need some starting pitching, especially after Marcus Stroman, um, to me, shockingly, decided to uh, opt out and go to free agency. I thought he was a shoe in to remain with the Cubs after his injury um, and kind of struggles down the stretch. But what do you see when you look at that big picture? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different potential paths the Cubs uh, can go here. But I do think that a lot of it really starts with three guys, with Bellinger, with Shohei Otani, and with Yamamoto, because those are the three guys at the top of the market that the Cubs would be and should be interested in. Uh, that you talk about getting better, and as I mentioned earlier, like this 2023 team is not better because mainly Bellinger and Marcus Stroman are not, no longer on the team as of now. Stroman's not coming back. Bellinger might. And if Bellinger comes back, the lineup is at least as good as it was last year, but not better. And you can't necessarily project out to be better. Uh, you don't really know for sure, right? Like maybe Mervis puts it all together and is a, is a factor at DH or whatever else. Maybe PCA is a great, uh, a great guy in center field. You don't really know, but it's at least like the same. And then pitching staff wise, Stroman was hurt and struggled down the stretch, but like you need 
you at least need somebody of his caliber to be, you know, about as good in the in the pitching department, or you need somebody better. Yamamoto definitely seems like it, especially with seeing how Kodai Senga really performed well in his first season in America here. So I, I think it starts with those guys, and obviously Shohei is the white whale for everybody. The, the Cubs need more left-handed power. Uh, they need really another left-handed bat. They need more offense. They have an opening at DH, and they will have an opening in the rotation in the future. So if ever there was a time to, to go after a goal in with Shohei, going back to the financial flexibility we talked about, I feel like now is that time. So um, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I do know that uh, they absolutely should should be shopping at the top of the market with some of these guys just because they need to. They need to get better. And, and I ultimately think, too, that the trade market, because the free agent market isn't super deep. There's only a few stars that we talked about, but the trade market is definitely something that uh, – that you can you can see maybe the Cubs would would go after some guys there. Do you view um, so obviously Cody Bellinger is probably the first big domino at least for the Cubs plans. Um, do you view like a guy like Pete Alonso or Juan Soto more of like a pivot if you don't get Cody Bellinger? Maybe you trade for Pete Alonso to take the spot at first, or maybe you trade for Juan Soto to fill that outfield spot or DH spot. Or do you think in in some world that that could be you know, Bellinger and a trade for one of these guys. I think you can definitely make the case of, of being a both type of thing. I, I don't think that from where the Cubs are, I mean, the Cubs are acting like the Cubs again, right? Like this council move proved that they've proven that just the last couple of years with the Dansby deal and the Tyone deal and the Seiya deal and Stroman deal initially. And, you know, they're, they're handing out some, some nice contracts and something they hadn't done for years, basically from, you know, after, the Jason Hayward and John Lackey and Ben Zobers additions, you know, kind of all the way throughout until Seiya and Stroman. So uh, I think it's certainly possible that they get multiple guys. Um, I don't know for sure if it'll happen or not, but but I think that they should be exploring all avenues to make the team better. And whether it's trade with Alonzo or Soto or free agency, bringing back Bellinger, or adding Otani or whatever, I think all of these things are, are part of it. They just need to get better. They need more talent and preferably more impact talent. All right. Uh, my my other question is, to my knowledge, and I'm I'm pretty sure uh, th- the biggest deal they've ever given out was Jason Hayward's 184 million, right? Yep. Is this the year that the Cubs dish out a 200 million dollar contract? Do you think? Oh, good question. Uh, I think personally, there's only two guys that are going to get that, and that's going to be Shohei and Yamamoto, and I can't guarantee if Yamamoto actually gets it in his contract if it's just some of the posting posting fee and stuff. So I don't know. I don't know if Bellinger will get it or not, but I'm going to say no. I don't think for sure that they do that this offseason here. Okay, and then so that would mean you would say Otani and Yamamoto for this hypothetical are are out of the question. What um, Then out of who those other guys we named, what would make this a good offseason? Bellinger and who else? Yeah, I mean, I think it does start with Bellinger for sure, but I'd say Bellinger and, uh, you know, trading for Soto. Like, that would make it a really good offseason. Um, and then adding adding relievers. I don't think they're going to get a guy like Cater and spend $100 million, but I do think we need to add a bunch of relievers, a bunch of guys who are veterans and can pitch in the back end of the bullpen. So I think bringing back Bellinger um, – Adding more beyond that to the lineup would be important. Um, I think trade is probably the most likely path, if not like Bellinger and Otani, which seems unrealistic, and then adding to the bullpen from there. And then for starters, um, obviously you do have Ben Brown and Cade Horton waiting in the wings, um, but as of right now, 
your opening day rotation looked something like Steele, Hendricks, Tyone, uh, Wicks, and then some combination of Smiley, Assad, Wicks, or I mean Horton or um, Ben Brown. If they do address that, I know there's not a ton um, of super high-end guys, but there's there's Blake Snell, there's Aaron Nola, um, Sonny Gray, um, as well as some of the guys that got traded this past year, Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty, um, and then Stroman's obviously on that market as well, all below Yamamoto. Um, do you think that gets addressed in free agency or potentially uh, via trade for like a Tyler Glass now or maybe even a Dylan Cease on the south side? Yeah, I think it could be both. I, I feel like Cease won't be coming back here. That, that feels like a just one of those unrealistic things that would be more fun to do in a in a game in a video game. But yeah, I think probably most likely in free agency, but I think possible in trade too. I'm I'm curious to see what the Cubs do in the rotation market for sure. Um, and this is more of a hypothetical for you, but what type of pitcher do the Cubs need to get for Justin Steele to not be the opening day starter? Oh, that's a good one. Uh. I don't know that there is a good answer. I, I even if you get Glasnow or Sign Yamamoto, I think Steele still earned being the opening day starter and as the incumbent. So I don't know I don't know that there's anybody that can get it, to be honest. And and tonight they of course announced Cy Young. It looks like Blake Snell's award to lose, but were you surprised that Justin Steele wasn't even a, a top three candidate? I wasn't just the way he finished the season. Uh he had a couple rough starts there towards the end, or maybe not even rough, but just tougher starts. So I don't think he was necessarily needed to be a top three finalist, but certainly I think, uh, you know, he was one of the better pitchers in the National League this year. Absolutely. And and I'll let you go with this. Um, I'm going to pick maybe four guys here, and I want your predictions on where they'll be opening day 2024. We've got, we'll do five, Cody Bellinger, Shohei Otani, Yamamoto, Juan Soto, and Pete Alonso. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, honestly, I think with – Bellinger, I'd say Bellinger back to the Cubs. I, I really think that they want him back in so many ways. And I think if you take L.A. out of it, I don't think he's going back there. I feel like the Giants and the Yankees are the only other two teams that would pay enough to what Bellinger feels like uh, would would even take the Cubs out of the equation. I, I think the only way Bellinger maybe doesn't come back to Chicago is if another team blows him out of the water. And the Giants and Yankees are the only teams I see that could possibly even do that. So, otherwise, I, I do think that there's just such a natural fit. So, I feel like Bellinger back to Chicago. Otani, I don't know. Everybody wants to say the Dodgers. I don't – I mean, I, I guess I'll say that just because it's easy. I would not – I just say I would not be shocked at all if the Cubs ended up with Otani. You know, he was a – he supposedly liked the Cubs a lot the first time around, and the Cubs were one of the finalists, you know, rumored to be, like, the number two on his list. And, if he wants to play in the Midwest, I don't see why he wouldn't want to come to the Cubs. But the Saya connection, and you know, you Darvish can speak to just how the organization and fan base embraced him and uh, stuff like that. So I think, I think that would be a really interesting aspect of it. Um, and then the others were what Soto, right? Soto, Alonso, and Yamamoto. Uh, Yamamoto, I'm going to say Yankees because I think the Yankees need a, to make a decent splash this winter. Um, and I'll say Soto to the Yankees, too. I think if the Yankees, if Soto does get traded, I feel like the Yankees would be kind of all in on going to try to get him, especially if they do end up missing out on the on the Bellinger sweepstakes. I don't think Otani's really a fit for, there with 
Giancarlo Stanton already under contract and DHing. So, um, so I'd say Soto, uh, there, Yamamoto there as well, I think could make a lot of sense. They definitely need a pitcher and, and a guy of his caliber, and they have the financial might to do that. Mm-hmm. And then Alonzo, um, I'm going to say he stays in New York. I, I feel like they'll keep him there and maybe lock him up to, uh, to even an extension because they have a lot of money for sure, and they've invested already in that. Um, but, I mean, remember, they tried to, to sign Carlos Correa, and they'll – continue to try to sign people i'm sure they'll probably be in the sit in the shohei sweepstakes and all of that so i feel like they'll they'll keep alonzo they won't trade him i don't think they want to go through any sort of long rebuild so i feel like they'll keep alonzo and then uh work on an extension with them yeah i think those are all pretty reasonable and i think cubs fans would be ecstatic if you end up with cody bellinger and shohei otani moving forward but it'll be definitely a fun off season i'm sure you'll be busy uh writing so uh, thanks for come taking some time out of your day to uh talk to us here and i know you'll have a busy off season ahead yeah absolutely thank you for having me all right that'll do it for this edition of the cubs corner as always brought to you by coaches barn grill and available on the cubs hq website apple Podcasts, and soundcloud thanks again tony yeah no problem thank you all for coming to the cubs corner